The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the host, guest, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or the Webster Rockio Ministries, its management, or other host or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented on KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. Let's talk about music right now because we got Jeff and Edie Anderson in here. And you know, to kind of tantalize our <laughs> listeners out there in listener land. Mm-hmm. Magnificent listener land. Yes. They need to really tune into this because we're going to be playing some Marvin Gaye. And last week we played, you guys maybe don't know this, we played some Miles Davis. Oh, man. Oh, we you had some Miles, Miles Davis. Miles? Okay. Ooh, and they, were, they were something else. Marvin Gaye is as smooth as Miles Davis is, but maybe I, I would say smoother with his with a vocal. This is about Marvin Gaye. His music was cathartic. His songs were prayers, meditations, and strategies for survival. He had a soulful authority driven by a fervid conviction and heartbroken vulnerability. Wow, heartbroken vulnerability. You can really hear that in a lot of artists, but especially Marvin Gaye. When we play some songs in the second hour, when Edie starts talking about the uh, play that she wrote, and she doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to go ahead and spill the beans here. I wish I didn't love you so. I won't cry anymore if my heart could sing and if I should die tonight. Mm. That sounds like, what, what was he singing those to Tammy Terrell? Mm. And, uh, well, we got one. He and uh, Tammy Terrell were together. And that's that was an incident in his life that really changed him. Mm-hmm. It I don't want to say stopped him in his tracks, but it basically stopped him in his tracks. He didn't go out and, mm-hmm. and quote-unquote, tour, or he didn't do any stage presence. But he was, I think that impacted him. It was a crushing blow to him. They weren't romantically involved, but it really just hammered him back into well, you reality. Know what? That, that story has been kind of flipped about him not being romantically involved. Oh, so maybe he was. Oh, we'll mm. find out. Ooh, you'll have to stay tuned the to the second hour. Oh. <laughs> well, a little bit more about Marvin Gaye. He started out in bebop got into R&B. So we're going to find out also in the second hour from Edie how much he really loved jazz and how much he really wanted to kind of be what I would call very similar to Frank Sinatra Mm -hmm. and had those kinds of aspirations and really 
could have done that had his life not been cut short by his father shooting him. Okay. That was yeah, a tragic. That thing. was a very tragic situation. And wasn't it on his birthday or something? The day before. It was the day before. The, the day before his birthday. April first. I do remember his birthday that so is April well. Second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a very tragic situation, and one that I, you know, so often when we listen to the lives or we hear the lives of musicians, and you know that there's certain levels of of conflict and chaos that are in their lives. But mm-hmm. I mean, who would have? thought absolutely that that yes. would have been the end of his life mm-hmm. but that changed music i think completely but when you take a wide view of it all and bring all all of that together you can kind of see that that was just ultimately something that would happen oh wow yeah, yeah well we're after, be after you take the, the whole history of his life and put it all together, but you have to know it all first. Yeah, so it's not like it was just an incident that rose up and happened at that moment. It was something that was building. It was an incident that happened at that moment, but it was something that it was just inevitably going to happen. Yeah, wow. Well, we're going to be interested to hear more about that because you've obviously done your research and written a smooth-looking book over there, and we're going (laughs) to promote that as well. Thank you. And that's great. Thank you. So his first hit, Stubborn Kind of Fellow, biggest hit, Heard it through the grapevine. Top album, What's Going On. We're, we're going to listen to You're a Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful one was in that cluster of Ain't That Peculiar, all of those songs that he did in the 60s. I call them Anna's songs because when he first got into Motown, he he married Anna Gordy, who was the daughter, I mean, the daughter, the sister of Barry Gordy. And I say Anna's songs because. They kind of wrote together. I don't think they wrote those songs together, but they they had another organization, him and Anna, to where they wrote songs for another group. But So Much In Love, all of those songs, if you listen to the title, You're a Wonderful One, uh, Ain't That Peculiar. I can't even think of any right now. But what I'm saying is those were the songs that he sang when he was madly in love with his first wife, Anna. Because later on in life, 
And when we get to vulnerable, vulnerable is what, what I found out when I did my research, is he, he honed those songs when he fell in love with Jan, his second wife. And he sung those songs to her over and over and over again. Because first I wasn't even going to read her book, but I did. And I discovered that that's the reason why those songs sound so personal is because he was singing them to her. And in the research, I also learned that Marvin has said that he always likes to think that he's always singing to one person, to one woman. And I took the 60 songs as his love pouring out to Anna and those songs later on like, I want you and Let's get it on, and all of those songs are for Jan Gay and the Vulnerable songs as well. And they also have a different tempo, too. Absolutely. You know, the other ones I can remember when I was young, you know, and we were playing those, you know, when we were having the parties in the basement, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. They were more dance songs, mm-hmm. you know, kind of more upbeat, you know, snap your fingers. And then they, the other songs became, you could tell the difference. They became more mellow, a little smoother. Mm-hmm. More ballads. Yeah, more ballads, more kind of, let me sit on the couch and listen to this a little bit more. So you could definitely tell the difference in the style, the tempo, the flavor. And now you're making it quite obvious yeah. to two different women. Yeah, well, yeah, with, 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 if you want to look at it that way. But but to a, from a musician's standpoint, it's probably entirely <laughs> That's right. I am a hopeless romantic. Okay. And (laughs) I have very uh, deep and interesting feelings about Marvin Gaye because it's, you know, from my childhood. You know, this is music that we listened to when we were young. I wanted to let our listeners know you're listening to Edie Anderson, who is the author of Jazz in My Soul. It is a play that she has recently released and there's some activities coming up that we need to talk about to support what you're doing in this vein. But wanted you to, she's she, she's a real expert on on Marvin Gaye, and and Jeff's got a big smile on his face over here. We talked to Jeff in the earlier half hour, and Jeff, you kick in anytime too here, because because this it's always a team project. You know, when you're together, mm-hmm. it's a give and take. Tell us how you got started with this. Give us a little background on you, but tell us how you really, you know, you grew up with Marvin Gaye. Not grew up with him, but you grew up listening to uh-huh. him. <laughs> Reading the play, it just it just really permeates that you're a romantic. I am a hopeless romantic. But I started in radio. That, that's my background. I did radio for about 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) And I started WESL Radio, KTZAM, FM. But all of my radio career, although I did R&B radio, I always wanted to do jazz. And later on in life, I did get a jazz show called The Sunday Jazz Tradition, where they just threw this this show at me. They gave it to me. It was from noon to six o'clock in the evening. Wow. That's Jeez. <laughs> it was like, give her a jazz show. And see, Chris, and you think that little one hour that I get from you, you know. Somebody tell Tedford, huh? Well, you know what? <laughs> yeah, Jeff Tedford. You know what? I did everything. I did everything. I played all of the great music, and I did interviews and spotlights, and I had time to do everything. Okay. Wow. Interviewed everybody that came in town. I, I, they were on my show. But as far as the book is concerned, the play is concerned, I have always been interested in this story about Marvin Gaye's desire to be the black Frank Sinatra, so to speak. His words, not mine. Okay. Now, I asked my husband, Jeffrey, one few years back, if I could do a concert, if he would help me do a concert of Marvin Gaye, the singer of this concert singing Marvin Gaye's songs that he prepared to be to make his jazz debut, so to speak. In my mind, this is what he prepared this music for. Jeffrey says, well, how is the audience going to know that this is Marvin Gaye singing jazz when they didn't even know that Marvin Gaye wanted to do this, and they don't even know the songs that he prepared. So how are they going to know that this is Marvin Gaye stylings in front of you? But I had thought of that, and I thought I had fixed that in the concert that I had written out, but I said, okay, that makes sense. So six years later, I had this book (laughs) to explain how I was going to convince the people that Marvin Gaye wanted to be a jazz singer. So I had to spell it out this way. (laughs) So now... It went from him, me asking him to do a concert to asking him to put on a play. 
it kind of happens that way, doesn't which it? Which is yeah. not going to happen. you're married, you just keep getting Evolution. involved. Yep. <laughs> which was not going to happen. And like he was going to say no. <laughs> well, there was no, you know, it, it was like I, I wasn't like saying, okay, honey, now here it is. Now put on the play. I knew my husband did, you know, I know what we can do and what we can't do. But I figured, hey, it was a play, so let's see what we can do. And I was able to get a production company to come in and say that they wanted to do it. But after a while, that phased out. So I had to think of what else to do to put Marvin at ease, so to speak. So I decided to put the play into book form. Because my thing was this, because my mother-in-law said something to me. One day she says, Marvin's penchant for jazz, wanting to be a jazz singer, was energy. And energy never dies. Mm. It just goes somewhere else. And, mm. and I'm thinking that that's what happened. It got in me. <laughs> so anybody else who loves the story and, and is able to um, understand where he was coming from, what he wanted, because he wanted to be a jazz singer from the time he was a little boy until the day that he died. So this is something that was inside of him that he was never able to accomplish, so to speak, because of his short life. And Anybody else who understands it and, and, and grabs this, they've, they've captured the energy as well. So, so it's, it's out there now. And, and it's growing uh, to the, in so many different ways. But let me explain to you the, the actual story. Absolutely. Okay. In 1968, Marvin Gaye summoned Bobby Scott, arranger, conductor, singer-songwriter, Bobby Scott, who is better known for A Taste of Honey. He wrote A Taste of Honey, and He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. Those like mm -hmm. his two claim to fame. But he was an incredibly gifted arranger, and Marvin asked him to arrange some songs for him. The Shadow of Your Smile, uh, Funny Not Much, Why Did I Choose You, just beautiful, beautiful, great American songbooks. A torch song, so to speak. When they got into the studio, Bobby Scott had arranged these beautiful arrangements for, for Marvin, and Marvin thought that they were genius. He loved them. But when he got into the recording booth, listening to the music in his ears, he didn't think that the, the his vocals were were measuring up to the greatness of these arrangements. You know, he didn't think that his stuff was as good as the stuff that he wow. was hearing in his ear. So he abruptly stopped the recording session, never to return to those songs until 10 years later. And so it was all about what happened in, in those 10 years because when the research that I did was from David Ritz's only authorized autobiography of Marvin Gaye, and Marvin told him that he didn't think that he had lived enough. He wasn't old enough to be able to, to give those songs the kind of life and, that they needed you know, to be believable. You got to understand what happened in between 1968 and 1979 when he finally finished those songs. He was married to Anna, in love with Anna, and in the book David Ritz wrote on Marvin, Marvin said himself he always had to sing to one woman. And in my eyes, it was Anna in the, in the, during the 60s and all of those mm -hmm. songs, and later on in life, as I said before, it was Jan Gay. His, uh, Marvin was 17 years Anna's junior. Really? Jan was 17 years, uh, he was 17 years older than Jan. So it's like this. So he was oh, okay. 17 years younger than Anna and 17 years older, older than, than Jan. Jan. And, and I think that that's, that's amazing because to me, I, I called his love for Anna a gratifying love. Because, you know, think about it. Marvin walked into Motown Records wanting to be a jazz singer. And he had come from Harvey Fuqua's uh, Moonglows and, and all of that, singing in doo-wop groups and all of that. But his thing, what he wanted to do was to be like the Frank Sinatra style. And, and, when I, when, and explaining that is 
He said to all of his friends who would listen to him that he wanted to be the black Frank Sinatra. Those are his words, not my words. And it kind of is jarring for some people to hear that. But in my mind, what he meant was he didn't want to be Frank Sinatra in blackface. He wanted to be the singer in his genre, in his, in his space, to create a style, as Frank Sinatra did. Right. Because when you think of the Great American Songbook, you think of Frank Sinatra and, 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 and his coolness and all of that. That was his style. Marvin wanted to do that in his uh, in, in his turf, so to speak. And he did, because uh, one of the things that I'm so excited about is that I was just searching the Google machine one day, and I typed in Vulnerable, which is the name of the album that put out Marvin Gaye's songs after he passed away. And all of a sudden, this guy, his name is Bell Al, he's a singer, incredibly gifted singer, he was singing... The, the stylings of Marvin Gaye's The Shadow of Your Smile. And he, he was singing just like Marvin. Now, oh. in, in that particular song in my play, I placed it uh, in a position to where a dancer is dancing to it because I said in my mind, nobody's going to be able to sing this. Nobody's going to be able to copy Marvin like that because this is just genius. Nobody's going to be able to do that. When I saw Bel Al sing, I was just so excited because he just gave me hope. I'm like, this is possible. This is possible. Now, Bel Al was singing the arrangements from Vulnerable that Bobby Scott put together. And they had violins and strings and pretty things. And it was done by Berklee School of Music. They did the entire Vulnerable album. I was so excited. I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> because not only did Bell Al sing um, The Shadow of Your Smile and I Think Why Did I Choose You. And then there was a, some other young guys singing some of the other things. And so it's not like they copied him perfectly, but they captured the spirit of what Marvin was trying to do. And to me, that's just exactly what he wanted. Exactly he wanted right. to be that person to set that style. So when these brothers walk out on stage and want right. to sing some of the great American songbook, they got a style to copy. And that's Marvin's style. So that's what I think what he meant by I want to be the, the black Frank Sinatra, the, the, the guy in my turf to set the style for for us, so to speak, right. you know, that, that makes total sense. That makes total. It sense. It made sense to me. That's yeah. why I wrote it down. No, you, you see that in instrumentalists, like we talked about Miles Davis last week. Mm -hmm. You see that in in Marvin Gaye. You see, how can I make myself a niche? Different. And, and he actually kind of broke that barrier because then people started to then pursue what they really wanted to do right. and weren't <clears throat> as much held back maybe by the industry standards or by the label. They, they still had control, but there's people who really push the envelope, I think, a lot It more. was because of Marvin Gaye taking his stance on what's going on right. that the Jackson 5 Correct. and Stevie Wonder were able to break out and do whatever it is that they wanted to do as well because of Marvin taking the stance on his What's Going On album. Only if Marvin had the freedom that they did because even with What's Going On, he was still kind of pushed down because when he finally finished the Vulnerable album, as a matter of fact, it wasn't called Vulnerable. He called the album the Ballad Album. Mm -hmm. And when he finished it, one more thing. I was able to interview the engineer by the name of Art Stewart, who was Marvin's engineer on a lot of his tunes. Oh, cool. He just happened to be in the studio <laughs> when Marvin finished the the uh, ballad album wow. in 1979. So I was able to find him and interv I interviewed him on KDHX radio. And he told me the story of when Marvin finished the, 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 the ballad album. And it's just so exciting to have somebody there who was there. First hand, you know? yeah. But Motown shelved the album. They didn't put it out. Now you would think after he would do what's going on, after he made his... You know, right. that they would let him do that, but but it was shelved. And uh, why, do, I, why do you think that was? Well, you know, they were making money on... Well, okay. I, you know, I, and I don't think people realize how 
corporate, and she calls them suits in the book, mm-hmm. but corporate people and, and people who aren't even musicians take charge of your art and change it. I don't think people realize that the songs that they hear on the radio, some of them didn't start anything like with their hearing. Mm-hmm. And I've had that experience myself. I went, I told you about my band, Four Miles High. We had a producer uh, named Ken Washburn. He came, and I think he was, at the time, he was producing Sister Sledge and some, you know. So, And we were in the Tower of Power, right, with a lot of syncopation. So mm-hmm. we'd written these songs that kind of that had that thing. And then he came in the studio, and, and he changed just completely changed our songs. And it's like going from milk to skim milk. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it just watered it all the way song? down. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think people realize that happens all the time. That The suits think they know art better than you. And their bottom line is all they care about. They don't, really don't care about the art as much as they care about the paycheck. Because what's interesting, what you say, Jeff, is the art is what endures. Right. Yeah. It's not the no. the, the sales of that. You right. go to look at albums, any album in any genre, it's the art that has that crosses time. Right. Mm-hmm. No matter what decade. And, it is. and it's amazing to me when you can actually have uh, an artist, because you know you, you can go to artists who have been able to do whatever they wanted to do from the very beginning. And then you then you look at their history, their music history on up until now, and it's wonderful to see musicians evolve and or do whatever it is that they do. See, because if you fall in love with them, I mean, if 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 you fall in love with them and they are a great artist, you're going to kind of track whatever. You, right. I didn't like uh, Stevie Wonder's plants thing. You know what I'm saying? But that didn't deter me from liking Stevie. Right. I mean, I'm still waiting for him to come out. You know, I'm always clinging on to Stevie Wonder because he's a magnificent artist. Well, and to piggyback off what you're saying, there in in the next few weeks there's another Marvin Gaye album coming out. I know. So so this is this is the exciting thing about April, the month I ca- I'm calling April the month of Marvin. You know, and with this, Marvin has the uh, commemorative stamp that they're having a dedication ceremony for in the month uh, on his birthday, April 2nd. Also, that album is coming out. David Ritz, who wrote A Divided Soul, the authorized autobiography of Marvin Gaye, he just put his book in audio version. I mean, (laughs) I, I don't know if you've seen that book. But that's where I did most of my research from from that book. I've did other books as well, mm-hmm. but but that was the the the, the bulk of it. And it's uh, when I read about it, it's like six hours of of audio. But a lot of things are happening in April, and I'm trying to make it exciting too with my organization, Jazz and My Soul, as well. His 80th birthday, right? I'm sorry. It, it'll be his 80th birthday, right? Yeah, his 80th birthday celebration. Yes. Well, let's wow. let's let's go off for this half hour with uh, listening to Marvin. Okay. I am closing 
Welcome back to In Tune. You've been listening to Marvin Gaye. He was singing If I Should Die Tonight from the album Let's Get It On. That mm-hmm. was so smooth. Beautiful. I tell you, absolutely beautiful. We were talking off air about some stories. When you are looking at an individual or his- historical kinds of uh, activities, you want to find out what is the real underlying theme? What's what's the truth that's going on there? And and many times you can't find it. And, and Edie Anderson is here with uh, Jeff Anderson, her husband. She's talking about her, her book and play, uh, Jazz in My Soul, and about Marvin Gaye. We were talking about how an individual artist many times wants to flourish and, and move through what's going through their soul, and yet they're stymied or they're constricted by uh, the suits mm-hmm. or, Jeff, what did you call it? The corporate the, corporate yeah, folks. Yeah. And you really can't flourish and develop that. Even within that, there are individual times when a recording artist will blossom because of an inspiration. Many times mm-hmm. it's a relationship mm-hmm. that blossoms those things. Edie, talk a little bit about that or amplify that. Yeah, we were just listening to If I Should Die Tonight. And as a matter of fact, If I Should Die Tonight is the very first song in my play. And we were talking about Jan Gay, who is Marvin's second wife. And I was not going to read her book because I, you know, from being in radio, you know about all of the hardships that you hear that they went through. I didn't want to hear that. (laughs) I wanted to find out information about these songs that Marvin so beautifully crafted with Bobby Scott. And so something told me, okay, okay, go ahead and read the book. And when I read the book, I found out that he sang those songs to her over and over and over again. He was able to get to the point to where he thought that he had lived enough to bring some life to those songs through Jan. As I said before, I thought of Anna as gratifying love for Marvin. Jan was romantic love. For Marvin, something that he had never experienced before, you know. Now, a lot of people look at Marvin, handsome Marvin, got all the ladies, you know. That's just the showbiz part. But him and his heart, as far as who he deeply loved, his mother, Anna, Jan, you know. And if you if you take Marvin's life and put it all together, it was music. He was just so excited about being able to make music, but he wanted to be iconic, so to speak. It's like when he did the Star Spangled Banner. He redid it and made it iconic for those who really, really, really love Marvin. I think it's the best one I've ever heard in my life. If you haven't heard that, that was for an NBA All-Star right. Game. Absolutely. And, and controversial at the time. Yes, it was. Very at, controversial. At the time, but uh, he set he set it in stone as far as he was concerned. He you know? sang it like he wanted to sing it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it was just, just just beautiful. And that's exactly what happened with these uh, songs from the Great American Songbook. He set a style. And um, my book is about a woman who is obsessed with Marvin Gaye and Marvin's songs that he wrote, that he styled the, from the Great American Songbook the songs that he prepared to be to make his debut as a jazz singer. Now, I don't know if Marvin put these songs together to make his debut as a jazz singer. I only assume, <laughs> because you have to think about where his head was after that. The ballad album, as he called it at the time, came right after Hear My Dear. Hear My Dear was the album that he made to give the proceeds to his wife as a divorce settlement. So all of the monies. (laughs) (laughs) Here, my dear. Here, my dear. (laughs) Here, my dear. dear. Exactly. And you know what? Patch of money. (laughs) Art Stewart, the guy that I interviewed, was in the studio. That's the sound engineer that helped him with Here, My Dear. And he says when Marvin first went in, you know, he was cursing at all. Then after a while... He realized what he was actually doing or what he had an opportunity to do because he poured out his entire relationship to Anna and that album. And the critics didn't think that it was good at all, but some of them did. As a matter of fact, one of the critics was uh, David Ritz, who wrote Mm. 
Marvin's book. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I'm so it was an incredibly beautiful album. You really have to really get into it to to like it and love it. But that was the ballad album was done right after, right after Here My Dear. So it was like he had gone through all of this stuff and, and Here My Dear was like, okay, this is it, you know. Now I'm moving on to my romantic love with Jan. And they went on to have two kids, and and the rest is history as far as that is concerned. But how important that is to understand when you're listening to a chronology of of albums of an artist. Mm -hmm. Like if you wanted to start from the very beginning and watch the transformation. That's what I was trying to say with artists that are let that that are from the very beginning. So give me give me some 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 um, examples of. well, look at Michael Jackson with the Jackson 5 and how he moved through what he was doing and how he kind of really pushed those boundaries. Yeah, but see, it was because of Marvin when he was able to uh, break away. Now, I'm not saying that Marvin caused him to break away from the Jackson 5, right. but, but Michael became his free spirit because of what Marvin did. Not only uh, the Jackson 5, not only Michael, but Stevie Wonder as well. Right. That's, That's right. when he did Sign, Seal, Delivered. Hey, right. it's over now. It's, it's all it's, what right. I want to do now. Right. And, and you even, see how successful he became. Right. And, and even goes, when you look at like Diana Ross. Right. Well, and, you know, Diana Ross had the help of the of the record company to yeah, do what well, she Well, that's true. Do. We won't go into that <laughs> one. But. Right. You know, that goes back to what I'm saying about corporations. The, the executives controlling your art right you know that stevie wonder wanted to write his songs and he didn't want anybody coming in imagine this say you're a painter right and you you paint this beautiful picture right and i come in with my paintbrush and start stroking all over your or either you know, all over your painting you know like what have you done that's what they do to your song or either yeah, this yeah. or yeah. either yeah. this is an example you you paint the painting right and then i come in and I just put a dot Right there, because that way I can put my name on that painting and says this was a collaboration right. between Jeffrey and me. Now and I see, some that of was a whole lot of stuff that was yeah. happening in That's Motown. Kind of stuff you know, interesting. It's all interesting, but I, I did want everybody to know that the play is about a woman who is obsessed with Marvin and obsessed with these songs that he prepared to be a jazz singer. the The play opens with exactly what happened to Marvin. He was killed by his father. And this woman, in her obsession, she didn't want this to happen. So the, the, the story is a fantasy. So she basically goes up there and says, oh, no, 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 it's not time for you to go yet. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So Marvin comes with her on this journey. And that is what the play is all about. It's, a, it's you great. To get the book. It's it's really it's really it's enjoyable. really not. And, and I've heard lots of uh, not lots, but friends of mine and and people on Facebook saying that they really enjoy it. They the, they like the intrigue of the story and all that. But what I want people to know is that the facts in the book are real, true facts. The story around it is my own fantasy, right? Exactly. Uh, about it, you know. But um, so, where can where can our listeners in wonderful listener land get your book? Okay, well, you the can play. you can go to my website at www.jazz the letter n mysoul.com and on there you can go to amazon.com bookbaby.com barnesandnoble.com and it's also an ebook form as well so um, yeah, I saw that on Amazon it's in the ebook form yes mm-hmm. and you um, also have some activities coming up to publicize yes. correct What's, mm-hmm. what are those Edie I'm calling April the month of Marvin Marvin was killed on April 1st. His birthday is April 2nd. And uh, this April 2nd is his 80th birthday. And people all over the world are going to be celebrating Marvin's 80th birthday because of the stamp that was dedicated in his name. So now he has moved to iconic status, so to speak, because of the stamp. Should have been because of what's going on. Right. <laughs> and it really has been because that album has done so, has has gone global, so to speak, uh, since he passed away. But it did 
well, even when he was uh, alive. But so, so is there some place here in St. Louis on April 2nd that we can all gather? Yes. On April 2nd. I don't know. I wasn't able to, to come up with anything that I could do on April 2nd. What I've been trying to do is get somebody to do a, a Marvin Gaye jam session at one of the, like maybe the jazz spots in St. Louis. Because, you know, I, I know everybody doesn't look at Marvin the way I do, but He's an icon as far as I'm concerned, you know, and I've, I've written a book, so I kind of want people to do these things. But anyway, this is what I'm doing. On April 4th, there's this the St. Louis Bop Preservation Society that is an organization that's already in existence. They have a bop party every Thursday. Oh, no, not a bop party. Yes. I mean, yes. you, do you know what a bop party is? <laughs> Did you used to do the bop? No. No. Okay. It's the St. Louis Bop Preservation Society. <laughs> and we're, we're uh, teaming up with them. Basically, what I'm doing is I'm just invading their bop party. And we're calling it the Marvin Sure Loved Ball 80th Birthday Celebration. Basically, and it's going to be a book signing as well. Basically, I'm just going to let them do their thing because they do their thing every Thursday. We're just going to go in, play a whole lot of Marvin music and dance, dance, dance. And then at 9 o'clock, I'll do a book signing. And what I'm going to ask them is that, hey, you guys want to do this every year? You know, maybe we can make this an annual event. Mm -hmm. Okay, on the 27th of April, I would love to do stuff. Every week, in, you know, every week in, in, in April. I just haven't been able to awake anybody yet. <laughs> These folk are still not woke yet. <laughs> but I'm trying to wake them up, yeah. But on April 27th at the Ozark Theater, I'm going to have a dance for Marvin. Because I've been talking about my play for a pretty good while now, but we have never talked about the dancers in the play, uh, because I told you about when I didn't think that anybody could match Marvin's vocals and the shadow of your smile. In my play, I have this designated for a, a lovely ballet right. dancer, right. you know, to to express and dance what Marvin expressed in vocal. So that's the Ozark Theater right here in lovely downtown yes, Webster in Groves, Webster right. Groves, right next yes. to the Webster Groves Garden Cafe. Yes. You mean Gary Schoenberg? Shameless plug. Shameless, very shameless. Oh, so you know the place. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Matter of so. fact, when we were kids, that's where we hung out was the Ozark Theater when it was actually a wow. movie theater. Wow. Story. And guess yes. what else I'm gonna I'm gonna ask? Wow, shouldn't we do this every year? You know, <laughs> I think uh, so. And so, so what what it's gonna be is I'm still trying to get a dancer. I thought I had one, but maybe not. I think where I messed up is I said that I wanted a ballet dancer. Doesn't really have to be a ballet dancer. Somebody that could just sh express, mm -hmm. you know, the the beautiful. What Marvin was yeah, expressing. Yeah, just the essence of Marvin. Yes, absolutely. So uh, that's what we're going to do. It's going to be a dance for Marvin slash book signing. And I'm going to have food and music and just have a good time and celebrate Marvin's uh, 80th birthday celebration and dance. And uh, that's going to be on the 27th of April. And like I said, I'm still trying to see what else we can do. With my organization, Jazz in My Soul, uh, I want to do something annually in Marvin's name. You know, and so the April 4th event is going to be where? It's going to be at the Legacy Bar and Grill at 5249 Del Mar. And their bop thing is from 7 until 11. I'm going to do the book signing at 9 o'clock. And as far as the Ozark Theater is concerned, we haven't gotten all of the particulars down yet, but it will be from one to three, I think, one in the afternoon, sort of like a brunch kind of thing. I, I don't know <laughs> what it is about this this journey with Marvin, but seems like everything kind of falls in place. Even when I think things are just going to just completely fall apart, just those, even those lows turn out to be like really great highs. So. Now, now give your website again. And you're also on Facebook too, right? Mm -hmm. Website is www.jazzn, the letter N, mysoul.com. And my Facebook page is Jazz and My Soul, a Marvin Gaye story on Facebook. Because when I went 
when I had the play put in book form, I changed the very last word instead of to story to fantasy. Jazz in My Soul is basically it's a Marvin Gaye story, but it's not the Marvin Gaye story. It's one of many Marvin Gaye stories. As you can see as we talk when the mic is off, there are so many right, sides to right, Marvin Gaye right. and so many stories to be told. But I want to tell the story that I feel in my heart that he wanted told. Marvin wanted to be a jazz singer when he was Mario Lanza, when he was eight years old. He was singing that. Wow. You know. And when he died, he had went over to CBS and he, they were going to match him, not match him, but, uh, well, put him with Natalie Cole to do some things with Natalie. I forget the name of the piano player that was going to be working with him. But what I'm saying is he never forgot that. I mean, he never put that on the back burner. That was always moving in his life. Whatever was going on in his life, music was always the number one thing, and, and and that journey to be that jazz singer, that jazz balladeer that he always had in his heart that he knew that he could do, that is what, that was his journey. Yes. And that's the story that I wish somebody would, would actually, actually study, because the story of Marvin Gaye and Bobby Scott is such an exciting story. I've, I've heard things that Marvin has said about Bobby Scott. I cannot cannot for the life of me find anything that Bobby Scott has said about Marvin Gaye. Hmm. No words anywhere that hmm. I can find. I know there's some out there somewhere because I would love to talk to somebody that was in the room. When, when I talked to Christine Howe, the other lady that I know that collaborated with Bobby Scott, I asked her, I said, right. did, did he ever say anything about Marvin Gaye? And she didn't say yes, she didn't say no. She says, I don't have anything to add to that. Now, <laughs> 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 why, you know, telling somebody like me, something like that. But her story with Bobby Scott is just so amazing. Is that, a, is that another play coming down the road? You know what? It's not my story. It's her story because she's a writer as well. And she talked to me about some things that I would never say because it was just a conversation between me and her. Right. But I will say this. I read an article about her and Bobby Scott. And the guy that was interviewing her from Jazz Max Magazine or something like that, he asked her, he says, did you love him? She says, yes. And I think he felt the same way, too. That's neat. Now, I'm a hopeless romantic. <laughs> So that, that ended your, your conversation <laughs> with them very well. Wow. I just thought, now see, that's just another story intertwined with, with Marvin and Bobby Scott. I just love for somebody to just take that on. We're glad to have Jeff Anderson and Edie Anderson on the show today to talk about being a musician, to talk about growing up and developing as a musician, and then also talking about Marvin Gaye and the love affair you have with his music mm -hmm. and how you have delved into his personality and trying to really get a grasp on who he was at the time when his music came out, why he was singing what he was singing, and why he was stymied in being the kind of singer that he really wanted to be. So 